Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 through 15. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Well, thank you, Pete. Uh, might seem like a strange uh, Advent reading text like that one where John the Baptist is in prison. But as I studied it, I'm like, oh, the wisdom of the ancients. That's brilliant. Because we all come with these expectations to Christmas. We all come forward and we, we want something to happen. Um, just, you know, we're going to interact with some challenging pieces, some complex emotions today. So I want to ease us into that. So I thought about some of the easy expectations that we bring, like Christmas photos. You know, you bring, you want to bring a, a thoughtful Christmas card or a stylish Christmas card. You might even find something on Instagram like this one, you know, where, you know, this couple has the cute hats on and the scarves and the, the sweaters and, and they're holding the coffee and like, oh yeah, we can recreate that. We can make it really fun. I'm sure it'll look exactly the same, except the reality is that you got to get some, some mustaches for those women. I mean, they just don't quite, you know, exuberate that Christmas cheer. So you're like, okay, maybe that's not going to work. But the baby, babies are always cute. Like you see this kind of baby and you're like, yeah, we can, I mean, we have those Christmas balls. We have a bed. We can totally make this picture, except, you know, the reality is that, you know, the baby doesn't quite cooperate. So, you know, okay, the photo doesn't work. The baby doesn't work. Pets. Oh, I mean, who doesn't love a kitty hugging a tree, right? Like, that would make a cute photo. You don't even have to have people in the picture, except the reality is your cat attacks the tree and, you know, hides in it, and your branches start to fall over. It's, it's bad. We have one. Um, so you decide, okay, we're not even going to go with living things. I'm going to, you know, I've been watching Cupcake Wars. I'm going to nail the Christmas tree cupcake. You know, like, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Like the frosting, and I'm thinking sugar and calories. Like, but, but 
man, if I could make those, that would be beautiful. Except, you know, cupcake fails, so you have to buy Reese's trees. I mean, it just didn't work. So all is not lost, though, because there's one thing that, you know, many of us look forward to, even in our older age, you know, seeing St. Nick in the parade. Man, if we could just get a great picture, maybe we could even sit on his knee. We don't have to be ashamed if we do that in our 40s. Well, maybe a little, but, you know, it would still be great. We'll bring the kids. The spirit will be ripe, except you go to the parade and you can't see a thing. There's people in front of you, and you don't, you don't get anything. So, like, there's expectation, and then there's reality. And the reality is that Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year, till it's not. Because the holidays magnify. They make the good things even greater, and they take the hard things and they make them even harder. And you might have something that you are missing this year. So it's important today to think about what our expectations are. The John the Baptist expected the Messiah to come. There were prophecies upon prophecies upon prophecies. The Jewish people had anticipated a savior for centuries. They were expecting this royal king that would come and free them and establish his earthly kingdom. Think about it. Even the wise men traveled far from the east. And where did they go first? They went to the palace. Where's the one born king of the Jews, they ask. They didn't expect to find him in a poor country village. Bethlehem, the lowliest of places. See, the reality for the Messiah was not meeting their expectations. Do you ever think about that? Like, the holidays do offer us that moment. What do we expect and what do we get? And how do you respond when your reality does not meet your expectations? It's important for us not to deny that, for us to think about that, even if it means that we get mad or sad or, or we think we're left waiting in the dark. Wondering, doubting. Maybe you're here today and you don't believe in God, so you're not really wondering if he's with you, but you are wondering if it's worth it, if there's a purpose, if any of this really matters. For others, you have an empty chair this holiday. It might be distance. It might be death. But that, that empty chair is really a whole in your heart. Maybe your waiting has to do with uh, your health or the health of someone you love. Our worship director and his wife, Matthew, uh, Amanda, our worship director, Matthew, and his wife, Amanda, um, expected to celebrate the holidays with their two cute boys, Benji and Toby. Um, but Toby's in the hospital probably awaiting open-heart surgery. Uh, and you can pray for them. That's not what they expected. Maybe you expected to be closer with your family or friends, but your reality is that, that relationships are twisting and being tested, and you're not sure how you're going to make it through those days. Are you bringing that 
up? Are you confessing that? Are you talking about it? See, John's been imprisoned because of a grudge, and he's going to be beheaded because of a whim. The expectations for a Savior have been fulfilled, but in so many unanticipated ways that now everyone is questioning. John the baptizer, Jesus' disciples, they're all saying, wait a second, Jesus, are you really the one? Evil people like King Herod are running around, thriving. Cruel people, instead of being punished, they're being rewarded. And good people are being punished and imprisoned. If Jesus is the Messiah, then why is injustice still ruling the world? Very well could have been what John was thinking. Could be what you're thinking today, too. One only has to look at the poverty and the hunger in the world to wonder if things are really right in the world, or we look at the corrupt leaders in governments around the world and wonder that. Maybe we're looking at human trafficking or just global injustice in general and saying, God, where are you? If there really is justice in your name, where are you? I mean, put yourself in the story right now. Imagine that you are this guy named John the Baptizer. You've had this job of prophet for at least three years, but probably more. You've been dedicating your life to announcing the way of God, announcing the kingdom of God, and that his king will inaugurate it. That's what you've been dedicating your life to. You've been denouncing kings that have been in opposition or rebellion to that plan, like the governor of Galilee, Herod Antipas, who's the one who locked you up. You've been a person who has lived your life in wide open spaces and wildernesses, and now you're confined to a little box, a prison cell. And yes, you get to have visitors, but you have no idea what's next. I don't know about you, but I live with a few people who really like to know what's going to happen next. They're okay with change as long as they get to prepare for it. John has no idea what's next. Isn't that some of the stress of the holidays? I have no idea how these people will act. I have no idea how these people will react. I have no idea if these people are coming. And so you're waiting and you're wondering. And you're hoping, but you're doubting. Not just are the holidays going to work out, but in this story, is Jesus the one? See, I think that doubt has crept in, but has not overtaken him. If doubt had completely overtaken him, I think John the Baptist would have said to his disciples, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we just give up? But he doesn't say that. Are you the one or should we keep hoping for someone else? Are you the one or should we expect someone else? Expectations are not bad. We should bring those things forward. And it might seem super simple, but it's worth saying. Even genuine Christ followers doubt. If you believe in Jesus, you can doubt. You will doubt. 
Somewhere along the line, we heard it or read it or somehow believed it that if we believe in Jesus, then we can't doubt. Either we believe or we doubt. We can't have one and not the other. Or we can either have one or the other. And that's simply not what we see in Scripture. What we see in the Bible over and over and over is even faithful people doubt. Now think about some of the people in the story. Well, just before we go there, think about John. John had seen Jesus in the very beginning. John had flipped in the womb when Jesus came in his mother's womb. John had announced that he will baptize with water, but one is coming that will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire that I am not worthy to tie his sandals. John was the one that announced that. When Jesus came on the scene, John was the one who said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John was the one who said, I saw the Spirit descend like a dove and stay on him. Jesus even said of John, Among those born of women, there has been no one greater than John. Here is someone who's been faithful and seen evidence over and over and over. And even he doubted. See, I think the temptation is, especially if we have seen a lot of evidence, if we have had years and years and years of faithfulness, the temptation is that we should deny our doubt. Just cover it up, pretend it doesn't exist, don't talk about it. I mean, that's what Judas did. Judas was like one of the closest disciples to Jesus, or if not the closest, the most competent. He was the one who was in charge of the money. He was the one that had the qualifications to be a disciple. And he started to doubt that Jesus was going to rescue Israel. And instead of talking to Jesus about that, he thought, well, Rome is the enemy, and I need to do something about it. And instead of admitting his doubt, he denied it up to the point of betraying Jesus to the religious leaders. The religious leaders were the ones who had Jesus killed. See, I think that part of being human is that we're going to have doubts. When John has his doubts, he brings them to Jesus. It's what we can do. It's what we should do. I don't want to should on you, but it's what we should do. John does this. He models it. Think about it. He brings his doubts to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't get upset or annoyed about it. Jesus welcomes his doubts, his questions, and his expectations. He doesn't say, well, you should know that, or I'm not going to answer that. He brings them to Jesus. So what do you do with your doubts? I don't like to bring mine forward. I don't like to look incompetent. But when Eve, remember Adam and Eve? They were at the beginning. They were the first man and first woman created by God in the garden. They had this perfect paradise where they had perfect relationship with God, where there was, no, there was nothing in between them, each other, and God. It was this perfect place, but God said, you know, you just, I'm, because you're human, I'm going to have these limits for you. And the serpent comes and starts insinuating doubt. And Eve 
brings that doubt back to the serpent. She keeps talking to the serpent about that doubt. Well, maybe God is withholding. Maybe he doesn't want us to experience everything. Maybe. And so the doubt spirals and grows and continues. She brings that doubt to the serpent. But when Moses is in the wilderness and he has this burning bush moment where the bush isn't, is burning, but it's not burning up, and God speaks from that bush and says, Moses, I want you to rescue God's people. I want you to rescue my people, to bring them out of Egypt. And Moses is like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. You don't understand. And he gives them all these reasons why God should doubt, why he is doubting. But he continues to talk to God about his doubt. Essentially, Moses brings his doubt to God. And that spirals in a way where God's plan continues in the way that God wants in a way where Moses is still part of that. Where do you bring your doubt? Do you bring it back to Jesus? I mean, Jesus even shows us that when we don't hear directly from God, we can still bring our doubt to God by bringing it to the word of God. When Jesus is in the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan, every time Satan accuses or tempts him, he responds with, it is written. He uses the word of God to battle that doubt. If we don't have the living word in Christ to bring our doubt to, we can bring our doubt to the written word. Again, where do you bring your doubt? When you're wondering if God has your finances in control? Do you bring it back to the word of God and say that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills? He's in control of everything. God will supply all of your riches in Christ Jesus. When you're wondering if you're going to be alone for the holidays or if anyone really understands you or is with you, do you come back to the word of God and remember that Jesus says, I will never leave you or abandon you. I will not forsake you. There's a promise in God's word, that we can go to anytime we have doubt. It doesn't have to deny our doubt. We're bringing our doubt to God's word. So we're going to have doubt. That's okay. We can bring our doubt to Jesus. That's okay. And the last thing that I see in this text is that Jesus asks us to look again with eyes of faith. He says at first through Uh, to John's disciples, when Jesus says, go back to John and report what you see and hear. The blind see, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are healed and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Shouldn't have read those as if they're just everyday occurrences. These are signs of the Messiah. These are examples of what the Messiah will do when the Messiah comes. I think Jesus is telling John's disciples, I know how much faith John has. I'm not just going to say, yes, I am the Messiah. That doesn't take any faith and trust to respond. I know how much faith John has, so I'm going to say, John, look again with eyes of faith. Look at the signs. See and believe but see through eyes of faith. Don't just look for the physical ones. Look for the spiritual ones as well. And then he adds, blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me. 
It's like saying, I'm the Messiah, I really am, and as the Messiah, I can choose to fulfill the messianic way in ways that I choose. And you have some expectations, and that's okay. But, John, I think Jesus is saying, it's right for you to expect someone, but your expectations are too low. You just want an earthly king. You want someone who will free your people and will make life on this earth okay. But I am coming as the ultimate king, the one who will make things right both in earth and in heaven. That's the expectations of the Messiah I have. I'm bringing ultimate justice where every wrong is made right, where every tear is wiped away where there's no more suffering and no more death and no more disease. And God doesn't play favorites. Meaning, he doesn't say the people that I like, that you like, that we think please God and bless them, that he takes all those people and the ones that it's hard for me and probably for you to like, maybe even love. And he takes even the people that we would call evil. And he says, I want to give them a chance to repent, to turn to me. In fact, I'm delaying my justice and my judgment so even they can come back into relationship with me. That's why I think Jesus is saying, don't be offended by my choice. The Father sent me for a purpose, and I know how to fulfill that and I will turn all evil back to good in my timing to ultimately give every human being a second chance. And if you're not sure about this eyes of faith idea, Jesus then, after John's disciples leave, Jesus, is, Jesus turns to the crowd and challenges them to have eyes of faith, to see in this way. He says, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? like a fickle politician trying to gain more followers or a finely dressed royalty? No, you went to hear the word of God from a prophet. But Jesus says, John did more than bring you the word of God. He announced the way of the Messiah, the Savior. And if you accept that, then you and I and all of us can be part of his kingdom. Then members under that king, Jesus, the one who has the way and the truth and the life. So I don't live by my way, my truth, and my life, even though the culture in our world would say that's how we live. You have your way, you have your truth, you go live your life, I'll go live mine. No, Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. My way. So for us, as we approach Christmas, we bring all our expectations, which include our doubt, and we bring them to Jesus. And we remember that he's not just the Christ child at Christmas, he's the king at Christmas. One who leads the way not to an earthly power or worldly position, but to a peace and a purpose 
that you and I can join with. When we choose to live by his way, his truth, and his life. Trusting that he will make all things right in the end, even if it's not all right now. Think about it. That's what each character had to do in the Christmas story. Joseph expected to marry Mary, not be a father before they got married, but he trusted by faith that this was God's way. And think about it in the the nativity scene. Joseph gets validated by shepherds who bring a message from angels. And I believe he has joy. Mary expected to be planning a wedding, not planning a nursery. And yet, in the midst of that scene where these angels come, where the angel comes and shares this with her, and then where angel shepherds come and speak a message of the angels, she gets to ponder all these things in her heart. And I believe she's overjoyed. On Tuesday and Christmas Eve, if you come back, we'll hear about the shepherds. But how the shepherds received this message of God's Messiah, in reality, they were the first witnesses, not what they expected. But they ran to find the child, and they were overjoyed, and they shared that with others. And even the wise men who expected to find the king in the palace, go and find him in a poor country house, and when they saw the star, Matthew tells us they were overjoyed. Praise God, they offer him presents fit for a king and a priest and a prophet. See, the prophets say that when the Messiah comes and rules and reigns, that people will be crowned with everlasting joy, that sorrow will disappear, and they will be filled with gladness and joy. I don't know about you, but ultimately, more than any gifts, more than any expectations, I want joy this Christmas. Well, what we see here is when we bring our doubts to Jesus, that he takes them, and ultimately, as we interact with Jesus about it, we will receive joy. So what do you have that's really big that you're not sure that you can handle? Have you brought that to Jesus? In a moment, we're going to close, and whether in praise or in prayer, you're invited to come to our prayer cove and bring that forward, because maybe you don't have the word. Maybe you're not sure if you've actually talked to Jesus about it. There are people in the prayer cove that would love to talk to you, that talk to Jesus all the time. We can trust his way and his truth and his life this Christmas and actually all year long. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for this interesting, complex, and yet honest story about someone who was so close to your Savior and yet doubted. May it encourage us, may it give us courage, may it give us hope, may it give us honest vulnerability, God, to bring our doubts to you, 
to know that you are going to accept them and us. That even today, there might be some that, that just honestly accept, that wonder about if you're really the way and the truth and the life. May they know today that you can even handle that. That you don't force yourself on anyone, but you invite those to seek the truth, to know the way, and to receive the life. Pray for those, God, that have an empty chair this year. And that they would even bring that hurt to you. That doubt, that darkness, God. That sadness, that disappointment. That they can bring that to you knowing that even in your goodness and your grace, you will reach out to the person that is missing from that spot. that you want to reach out to them with your love and your care and your compassion just like you reach out to us. God, and I pray for those that uh, have a desire to know that, first of all, that expectations are okay, but God, that sometimes in your certainty, you don't tell us. God, that we don't get to know everything all the time and that you're God and that your ways are higher than our ways and that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And sometimes part of this invitation of faith is to submit to you and get to expect wonder, joy, and uncertainty in the moment. Like the next day is like unwrapping a gift from you that we're not sure what it is, but we can trust the good giver. I pray that you would help us to live with a greater sense of uncertainty, knowing that we can be certain in you. God, you are the way and the truth and the life. Jesus, we bring ourselves to you. Thank you for opening a way to, for us to come to you, to be restored and reunited with the Father. In Jesus' name.